open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host at Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. Hello there from Los Angeles. How are you all? You all good? It's been a crazy busy week. I've just been out to Wyoming to see how they are pushing for Bitcoin-friendly regulations and had a couple of days in Palm Springs to discuss innovations with leaders in the space. Been a busy few days. So anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by the Mighty Kraken, the best place to buy and sell Bitcoin. Today, I've got a monster show. This was recorded out in Wyoming. It's with Caitlin Long, Trace Mayer, and Tyler Lindholm to talk about reducing the size of government. But before that, I do have a message from my show sponsors. So I'm going to be heading out to LA again next month. I'm going to be heading out to CIS, which is on October the 15th. And the organizers of CIS, Joseph and Alon of GHV, just launched a campaign to give everyone free tickets to their conference and also give everyone who shows up $50 in Bitcoin. They are on a tear to spread mass adoption of Bitcoin and are literally paying you to get started. It's going to be huge. I'm going to be there. So if you want to attend, you want to get a free ticket, head over to cis.la forward slash WBD and you can find out how you can get paid Bitcoin to come out to CIS. Also, today's show is brought to you by my new sponsor, MyBookie. And at the end of a hard week, when it hits Sunday, you want to take some time off, you want to watch some football. As some of you know, I've become a massive fan of the NFL. And like with football in the UK, there's nothing more exciting than having a bet on the game. So do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag as no one gives you more ways to win than they do. They've got the fastest payouts and better lines than any sports book. And I wouldn't recommend them if I didn't think they were great. And one of the coolest things about them is they accept Bitcoin. Of course they do. Would I have a bookie that doesn't accept Bitcoin? So if you're the kind of person who likes a little bet and to win a lot, you can try Parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of the year for this. So join now at MyBookie and you can double your first deposit. Just use the promo code WBitcoin to activate that. And that's at MyBookie.ag, which is M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E dot A-G. And also, today's show is brought to you by DropBit. And I'm going to be heading out to Ohio next month. I'm going to be with them for their event on the 10th. And hopefully, hopefully around then, I can announce the new updates they've been working on. Super cool stuff coming soon. I know so many of you have downloaded the app. I'm using it all the time now, whenever I travel. I even gave a waitress in Wyoming Bitcoin. She'd never used it. She just thought it was magic internet money. So she downloaded Dropbit and I sent her her first $50 of Bitcoin. And also somebody I was having dinner with gave her a copy of Safe Dean's The Bitcoin Standard. So we created a Bitcoin there. But it's an amazing app. It's amazing UX. They crush it. You don't just send Bitcoin with an address. You can text it. You can tweet it. It's just like a Venmo for Bitcoin. It's available on the iPhone and Android. Just head over to dropbit.app, which is D-R-O-P-B-I-T dot app. All right, on to the show. And as I said, this one is an absolute monster. So while I was out in Wyoming for the Wire Hackathon, I got the chance to sit down with Caitlin Long, Trace Mayer, and Tyler Lindholm to discuss everything they are doing in Wyoming to make it the best place to operate a Bitcoin business in the States. 
So when you have something as disruptive and innovative as Bitcoin, it isn't surprising in the States that regulators are going to push back against it. It's been happening. There's lots of uncertainty as it's so easy for regulators to be ignorant to the industry because they probably fear losing control and they worry about money laundering, terrorists and drugs being the only use for it. We know that's all FUD, right? So these overly strict laws that we've seen in places like New York with the BIP license just don't make sense. And Wyoming has spotted this gap in the market and maximized the opportunity. They have passed 13 laws in the last two years with the aim of helping Bitcoin businesses. And there's so much more in the pipeline. I got to witness them debating it there. It was really, really cool. So this show is also perfect timing with the libertarian rabbit hole I've been going down recently. It's great to see someone like Tyler Lindholm in action, a self-declared libertarian conservative. We get into so much. We talk about the laws that the group have already passed and the ones that they're currently pushing through why they got involved in public service, the state's power to nullify federal laws, and if US politics is really like House of Cards. Massive show, really enjoyed making this one. Really grateful to all three coming on together. If you've got any questions about it, you know my email address. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. And just a couple of notices. I'm in LA right now. I'm prepping for the launch of Defiance. I've got a couple of interviews tomorrow, which is going to be super cool. Also, just had Kraken confirm that they will sponsor Defiance, not only the podcast, but also a news platform. So that's really cool. I'm going to be heading back to Bedford on the weekend, and then I'm going to be out in Ohio for the Dropbit event on the 10th of October, and then going to head to LA for CIS. I might be heading to Berlin for the Lightning Conference, then back to New York for the Human Rights Forum. So busy, busy, busy. Anyway, if you've got any questions, you know you can reach out to me. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. <laughs> Right. So this is kind of special having Caitlin, Trace and Tyler all together. Obviously, Trace and Caitlin have both been on the show before. Everyone knows who they are, but they won't know you as well. Tyler, so can you just introduce yourself? Yeah. So my name is Tyler Lindholm. I represent House District Number 1 in the state of Wyoming and been part of the Blockchain Task Force with Ms. Long. And we obviously look to Mr. Mayor quite a bit for his knowledge because he's one of the old school guys in that in that scene. All right. So... Something seems to be happening that's quite different up here in Wyoming. It's very exciting for me to see. It's very interesting to watch. It was very interesting to watch how you all interacted with each other. But also yesterday, I can't remember his name, but the, the Democratic guy, this doesn't seem to be so much confrontation here. So what's going on in Wyoming and how do you export this to the rest of the states? What? I think I think state legislatures are probably your last bastion of liberty, or, or at least your last bastion of of what the original intent of this experiment in democracy. So for, for us in the state of Wyoming, I mean, I, there's several Democrats on the committee. We don't do party lines. We don't do that. Uh, you know, vote your morals, vote your policies, vote those types of things. We're not going to stand just on a party side because some party boss says you got to vote this way. That doesn't happen in the state of Wyoming. And hopefully it never does. And what are the key things you are working on here right now? Thanks, Peter. Um, I must say, Tyler's not tooting his horn enough. He's the guy who really made it all happen at the Wyoming legislature. And he's a larger-than-life guy wearing a larger-than-life cowboy hat right now and carries quite a physical presence. How tall are you, Tyler? Six, seven? Yeah, six, seven, without the hat, though. <laughs> yeah, but hats off to you because of what you've pulled off. And we really just, to use Trace's phrase, we, we wanted to make the technology backwards compatible with the legal system. And we've done everything we can to do that, starting with the commercial law, the what I call the base layer of the legal system, which is the basic law governing transactions. 
we've acknowledged that peer-to-peer transactions involving Bitcoin and other crypto assets are legal in the state of Wyoming. It's, it's actually a really gray area in other states. And then we built from there. We have no tax on crypto assets here. Utility tokens are defined as something distinct from securities. There's a fintech sandbox to allow innovators not to have to comply with all the crazy regulations. And then we have the special on and off ramps to and from the fiat system back to the crypto system, which I hope 20 years from now aren't necessary anymore. But right now for the growth of the system, the crypto system, they're actually pretty important. And Trace, you've been lending a hand up here. What's your involvement? Yes, I've been involved in this for a long time. Caitlin and I, we've known each other for years, probably, what, six years now? Been mentored to her in a lot of ways uh, with Bitcoin-related stuff. You know, getting involved in public service, you know, first, like, why would you do it? <laughs> there, there can be a lot of brain damage. But, <laughs> like, you know, I funded Armory because I wanted a technical fortress to protect my Bitcoins. You know, cold storage, we innovated that. Hierarchically deterministic uh, wallets, we innovated that. You know, because before, you used to back up 100 private keys at a time. You know, so you might have burned through those inadvertently. And then you didn't have your, your, your keys backed up anymore. So, you know, building that, that fundamental, like, technological protection was very important to me as a hodler of last resort. Well, what would laws look like that a hodler of last resort wanted? And that's really what we built at Wyoming. So, you know, we have a technical bastion, and here in Wyoming, we're building a legal bastion to protect your digital assets. And so we look at all the different attack surfaces, we look at all the different attack vectors, and we try to preempt and protect and close any of those that we can. For example, on my podcast, Bitcoin Knowledge, I interviewed Miles Cohen back in 2014, and we talked about the Uniform Commercial Code and bankruptcy and Bitcoin in legal title. And it gets really sticky really fast. When you buy Bitcoins from Coinbase or from Kraken or, or anywhere else, are you actually getting clear legal title to them or not? And in most cases, you're not. And even a bona fide purchaser could be subordinated to one of these creditors, even if the bona fide purchaser has no idea that the creditor even exists. And that's a huge attack surface and attack vector, in my opinion. And so, you know, one of the, one of the areas that I specifically, like, uh, wanted to get into the law that we did get into the law is a lien cleansing provision. So it, it cleanses any of these liens after two years, which is the, which is the federal bankruptcy statute of limitations. So, you know, being able to, to participate in the public process in a way that you're able to, to set up and protect yourself. Cause guess what? Like the legal system is totally bifurcated from the Bitcoin network. They don't recognize each other. <laughs> like Bitcoin Network doesn't recognize a, recognize a, a judge's opinion, and and a judge might not recognize uh, the Bitcoin opinion, and he might use whatever powers he has to coerce you to to interact with that Bitcoin network as he sees fit. And so, you know, let's let's close a lot of those attack surfaces and attack vectors if we can. And it's taken a lot of work. Caitlin and Chris Land, the legislative attorney, and I. We spent four hours on Christmas Day working on SF-125, which provides for a special purpose depository institution, a, a regulated bank with the banking commissioner. You know, so this is very important stuff to me. And as a hodler of last resort, I want to know 
that there are no attack surfaces and attack vectors like coming at my digital assets. So one of the things that kind of stands out for someone like me and a lot of other people is that the U.S. tends to be leading the way with regards to regulation. A lot of people are looking towards the U.S. Not always, but generally speaking, I'm taking a, a larger interest in, in how regulation works in the U.S. Tyler, I, so I was checking out your website beforehand. Very cool. It's very interesting stuff. I've written down some quotes I want to discuss with you. But you're a representative for the Wyoming House District 01. So what would be really useful, probably for someone like me and some other people listening, because over half my audience is international, how does district versus state politics work, and how does it differ? Because you obviously have an interest in representing your district, but also you have an interest in representing the state. Right, right. So ultimately, the way it really works out is in the state of Wyoming, we've got two legislative bodies, and every state in the U.S. is like that, except for Nebraska, is unicameral. We won't talk about Nebraska. <laughs> uh, so there's two legislative bodies. And for anything to become law, they, a law has to pass both chambers, right? And then it's got to be signed by the governor. Is that the we, House we, and the Senate? That's correct. And actually, that was something I learned yesterday that I didn't know. I just thought the House and the Senate was in Congress in D.C. I didn't realize it was every, pretty much every state. Yeah, it's pretty much every state. Some, some other states call them something else. Like, for instance, Virginia is the Assembly. Instead of the House of Representatives, they have their Assembly. So just different names, but still the same premise. So when it comes down to what we're doing, I have to represent my district and their interests. But ultimately, their district's... They're akin to what's going on in the rest of the state. So while I might bring legislation that benefits my district, I have to hope that the other representatives will see that that interest, uh, by voting for that, they're protecting their citizens, their their voters' interests also. So it's it's kind of one of those precarious bal- balances, and it seems to work. You don't have district-based laws, though. No, no, there's no district-based laws. Okay, okay. And also, you are the majority House Whip. Can you just explain what that means? Right, so what that means is I'm essentially fourth in leadership in the Wyoming House. And traditionally, in like Congress, that means the whip goes around and makes sure everybody's going to vote the right way, vote the party way. That's not what I do, just because that's not the way Wyoming works. Essentially, my responsibilities to the majority caucus in the state of Wyoming, which is the Republican Party, is, you know, I'll, I'll find out if we've got a controversial bill uh, the speaker's a little worried about. And he's like, where where are we on vote-wise in this? Can you just poll people, see where they're at? And if it doesn't have enough votes to, to pass, there's no reason to expose everybody to that. And then and there's also no reason to waste everybody's time. So I'll just go find out where everybody's at. And we kill a lot of bills that way. How much deal making goes on and how realistic is it? You know, so my biggest exposure is watching something like House of Cards, where it seems to be lots of deal making. Now, I know that's a drama and I understand that, but is it also realistic? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, one of my like favorite stories about uh, the founding of this country is at the time of our, our country was in its infancy. Just after you kicked us out. Yeah, just it. Okay. Yeah. I, I wasn't yeah. going to say that, but yeah. yeah. By the um, way, the tea here is still terrible. <laughs> right, it probably is, right? It's never been the same. <laughs> one, of the, one of the interesting aspects that happened is when our country was in, first in its infancy and Thomas Jefferson was a Secretary of State, Alexander Hamilton was a Secretary of the Treasury, and George Washington was a President, 
And, you know, there was this whole shakeup. Jefferson and Madison, they both hated Hamilton. Hamilton was this firebrand of a character. And Hamilton wanted to assume the state's debt on the federal government from the wars. And so states like Virginia were pushing back because, you know, they're farmers, right? They had all the money in the world. States like New York were broke from the war. So what ended up happening is Hamilton wanted to pass a whiskey tax, right? So that meant that a tax was going to be collected on mostly ag- agrarian individuals. That's who produced whiskey at the time. And so Jefferson and Madison were venomously against this. They were not going to go forward with that. But they did want something. And what they wanted was they wanted to be a little closer to home. They wanted to be in Virginia, right? At the time, the, the capital was New York. That's a pretty good haul for somebody that's a secretary of state to have to travel all the way to New York. And so the story goes, they sat down at a bar one night and worked out a hell of a deal where they changed the capital of the United States to this unknown place called Washington, D.C. that's on the border of Virginia. And then miraculously, the whiskey tax passed. And that was actually, surprisingly enough, that was the first time that the federal government decided to run down U.S. citizens and and kill them because the Whiskey Tax Rebellion took off shortly after the Whiskey Tax was passed. And Hamilton and President Washington at the time ended up putting down an uprising of U.S. citizens over the Whiskey Tax. So it's pretty normal for a lot of folks to talk on the, you know, talk on the side and to essentially work out issues on the side. Uh, that's democracy in and of itself. As long as it doesn't get too rampant, then it's not an issue. I'd say that boat has sailed in Washington, though. <laughs> yeah, another interesting point here, Peter, that might be unknown to a lot of the international listeners is just the way the U.S. is set up. So the states are actually sovereign, and they created the federal government. And then the federal government is also sovereign. And so Article Three of the U.S. Constitution sets up you know, if there's a dispute between a state and the federal government, it goes to the U.S. Supreme Court. Well, each of the states also have their own Supreme Courts. And under the U.S. Constitution, it's premised on limited powers. So powers have to be expressly delegated to the federal government, which is done in Article One, Section 8. And then also in Article One, Section 10, the states are restricted in, in some of the things they can do. For example, the federal government has no power to make anything legal tender. The states can make stuff legal tender because that comes under their, their area, which is property rights and remedies and torts and stuff like that. But if they make anything legal tender, it can only be gold and silver under Article One, Section 10, Clause 1. Now, when something is done in an unconstitutional way at the federal government level – Often the courts won't get involved if, if it's a political question, which is the case when it comes to Federal Reserve notes being legal tender. But you know, putting that aside, what we find is that the states can also assert powers of nullification. So if the, if the federal government does something and the states are like, that's against the Constitution, the state of Wyoming or the state of California can be like, look, we're going to nullify that. So that law is like – not of any effect, you know, which California and marijuana, Colorado and marijuana, you know, this nullification power is not used very often, but it is a very big power that the states have, you know, and, and there is an issue of whether they can actually enforce that, you know, Abraham Lincoln kind of came on the scene with that. But the, these powers not expressly delegated to the federal government under the 10th Amendment, they're reserved to the states or to the people themselves. And then we also have other clauses like the Interstate Commerce Clause. But 
the the U.S. Supreme Court in many ways has either broadened or 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 narrowed the way that these clauses apply. For example, in the mid '30s, under the New Deal legislation, under Wickard, it was held that a guy growing wheat on his own land for his own consumption affected interstate commerce because he wasn't buying wheat on the open market. And therefore, the federal government had the jurisdiction or the ability to impose these different regulations on wheat. One interesting thing about the Trump administration, particularly with Gorsuch and Kavanaugh being put on the court, is that their opinions seem to be that they'll either side with the, the liberal side of the court or the conservative side of the court in a way that they're cutting just massive amounts of the this precedent that has expanded federal government power. And as soon as Ginsburg passes away in the not-too-distant future, I mean, she is 86, so just looking at the actuarial tables, and Trump, and Trump puts on a new justice to replace her seat, then, that, then the Supreme Court is going to move in an even more rapid way to that type of a jurisdiction. Now, this, this gets very interesting because look at the state of Texas, for example. Kyle Bass wanted to move a billion dollars of physical gold in the Texas pension fund to, to the state of Texas. And in the state of Texas, you know, they, they needed to be an attractive jurisdiction in order to have that. And so the Texas legislature passed in law that any confiscation order by any entity, not the state of Texas, shall be void ab initio and have no force and effect. So like when, when FDR issued Executive Order 6102 to confiscate Americans' gold, the state of Texas has legislation in place now that says that is of no force and effect. So like Tyler, for example, when we were working on some of the stuff, he was like, well, what, what's some stuff that you'd like to see make its way into law? And I was like, you know what would be really cool is if we could pass a type of law that makes it any type of confiscation order, not from from any entity besides the state of Wyoming that confiscates digital assets to be void ab initio and of no force and effect. And if we got that type of protection by a sovereign entity like Wyoming, that could be a huge, a huge advancement in terms of the, the attack surface and the attack vectors that get closed by the legal laws that we get passed here. Yeah, and on that line, we actually passed through the task force today. It's not law yet. It still has to go through the legislative process. Two bills that I think developers in particular and, and hodlers are going to love, one of which actually addresses what Trace was just talking about, which is that a, in, anyone in the state of Wyoming cannot be compelled in a criminal or civil or administrative or legislative hearing or, or anything, any other proceeding to disclose your private keys. You can be forced, you know, in a divorce settlement to deliver the assets, but you cannot be ever in the state of Wyoming compelled to disclose your private keys. And then the other is a protection for developers, people who write open source code. We don't want to give the developers complete immunity because there are, of course, developers who write malicious code. But what we did pass this morning was a bill that says that developers cannot be criminally prosecuted solely for having written code. It's how someone uses the code, and you can't be liable for somebody else using the code that you wrote maliciously either. And so those are two really important attack factors that we hope to be able to close down. But it just goes to show you 
you know, we're looking at every, at every way that we can possibly remove obstacles for this industry. One of my good friends said, your, your job is, is, to, is to fix the red flag laws. Um, the red flag laws refer back to the UK, um, which put in these laws that said when the automobile came out, you know, people were going to die, pedestrians are going to get run over, and somebody, you literally had to have three people uh, in, in, with every automobile. There was a an engineer and, and a steerer who drove the car and somebody who walked in front of it 10 feet, waving a red flag, warning the pedestrians that the car was coming. Well, guess what? Unfortunately, that series of laws caused the UK to lose its advantage in automobile production. The UK actually was ahead of the United States, even though the automobile was invented in the United States. So it's a perfect example of we got to tear down bad laws when they do exist. And that's why... Tyler's just been so amazing here in Wyoming and Senator Ogden Driscoll and, and the posse that you've put together because you guys have the power to pull this off. They're all pretty senior in the, in the legislature. So when we need a bill to make sure that it gets advanced on the agenda, if we might be running out of time and it needs to skip the line, we've been able to do that because these guys have been so committed to giving this industry a legal home. Yeah, and we shouldn't understate just how important having protections like this are. For example, let's say that you pranced around claiming that you were Satoshi. And, <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. And, 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 and then a judge like issued an order saying that you had to deliver 500,000 Bitcoins. Well, there's a string of cases that are offshore asset protection trust cases that intersect with bankruptcy law. In Section 526 of the Bankruptcy Code, which which gives the judge contempt power. And in some of these cases, for example, this guy had wired money to an offshore asset protection trust. And then he he told the, the judge said, hey, you need to wire it back. And he said, well, I don't have the general powers of appointment to do that. And therefore, I can't. And you know what the judge did? He held him in contempt of court, threw him in jail for 14 years. He wasn't able to challenge his detention, <laughs> and, and the only reason he got out of the pokey is because a new judge got assigned to the case because the previous judge retired, and the new judge was like, well, I don't think it's the coercive effect is accomplishing what we want. So what, you do not want to get thrown in the pokey under contempt of court when a judge thinks that you have Bitcoin private keys or digital asset private keys and you don't have those keys because you could end up staying there forever and not be able to challenge your your detention. I mean, I can think of somebody I'd like that to happen to. But. <laughs> it, it would be a very bad precedent even if it happened I to know. him. This uh, red flag laws, I've heard this been raised recently with regards to the debates over... Gun laws, and actually, that's a very interesting area for myself personally. So let's let's go back a step. To I don't think a lot of people say, and especially the UK, really understand conservative conservatives or conservatism. They will often judge it based on kind of limited facts or certain people like Trump or George Bush and etc. But they won't actually fully understand it. And I, I don't myself. But the more time I've spent in the US the more I have come to understand it. So I've gone from being a very liberal left-wing person now to considering myself someone semi-conservative. I, I now understand guns a lot more. I respect them more. I've shot a gun now. And actually, I think I would probably have had to put myself anywhere, align myself with you, Tyler, and say, I'm, I think I would want to align myself as a 
libertarian conservative. Mm. So I've heard about these red flag laws with regard to the gun debate. I have just covered guns, so it would be good if you could just comment on that as well. So when we're talking about red flag gun laws, the premise behind them comes from the fact that there are mentally ill people in this world. And so what red flag gun laws allow for is if someone calls in and says, you know, for instance, if Trace were to call in, if we had red flag gun laws here in Wyoming, he were to call the sheriff's department or whoever and any authority in the state of Wyoming and said, Tyler is a whack job. Now, Trace is not a doctor, but just the same. He said something about Tyler being loose or what have you. If the right order was given and they were concerned enough, at that point, the authorities would show up for my guns. And that the reason why that is just a complete bastardization of, of our laws and our constitution in the state of, in the United States has to do with the fact that we're innocent until proven guilty. So if, if they can take my property without ever convicting me of a crime, and the only way I get my property back is by stepping forward and proving that I'm not insane, then that is no longer innocent until proven guilty. That is guilty until proven innocent. And they do so in the, in, in the name of safety, right? Safety and, and security are the, probably the most, the two most evil words that I can think of in the last 20 years that government has used to subject and to erode natural rights. Uh, because that's what we're talking about. We're t- I mean, it is a constitutional right that is enshrined in our constitution. But uh, even without the constitution, it is a natural right. And this is the part that kind of hurts my heart about Canada and the UK is, yeah, you guys don't have Second Amendment rights. But that's a piece of paper, right? You have natural rights. You're a human being. You have the right to self-defense. And so for your listeners abroad, I, you know, for us in the United States, we scratch our head at that a piece of paper is going to restrict you. Because the reality of the situation is, is the Second Amendment wasn't written and, and natural rights weren't, weren't given from our creator. I'm, I'm a believer in a, in a, in a creator, but those rights weren't given you know, solely so a governmental entity could take them away. Those rights were given so you could shoot your government in the face if a tyrannical government or somebody were to threaten you. I mean, that's, it's, it's the right to defense. And so these red flag gun laws are, I mean, they're just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bastardization of our constitution. So I, I really push back against those. They do them in the name of safety and security and everybody feels better about it. But does, what does it really accomplish? And it's been proven to not accomplish anything, unless you consider Illinois to be a success story in regards to uh, gun homicides. And they're not. They're the worst in the nation. And yet they've, they've had these in place. And in fact, they've got the most restrictive gun laws in the nation. And yet they top the charts as far as gun homicides. It actually has something to do more to do with gang crime versus gun crime. But correlation is not always causation in some politicians' minds. As Tyler said, it's about the relative power of the governed and and the governors and every time in history where um, where where people have been disarmed, that relative power balance changes and atrocities begin, and that's one of the reasons why the U.S. I think has been as successful as it is. There's a reason why the Second Amendment is number two on the list. It's right behind number, the, the the First Amendment, which is freedom of speech, press, and assembly. Number two is is what guarantees number one. Yeah, and along with that, no amount of violence is going to solve a math problem. And math is 
is what has lifted us out of the swamps to the stars when you think about it. And one of the one of the great things about the freedom of speech and about math and about cryptography is that the U.S. Supreme Court has already upheld cryptography as freedom of speech. And the amount of liberty that you get is directly proportional to the amount of protection that you can acquire for yourself. And with cryptography, and specifically with Bitcoin itself, as being a form of digital property rights enforced by cryptography and not by legal rights, you're able to acquire protection at a much lower cost. And the return on investment from somebody who's attempting to engage in extortion is negative in in pretty much all the cases. And so we're able to use Bitcoin and wield it as a weapon of self-defense of our property, protecting it against confiscation through inflation, which is a form of taxation without representation, without due process of law, because it's the hardest money, it's the hardest asset that's ever been created. We're able to secure it with free open source software. <laughs> like you, there, there are no account fees for your Bitcoin. There are no negative interest rates that get attached to your bank accounts. There's no like automatic bailout or bail-in that gets done. Uh, this is the hardest asset ever created. And so you're able to secure protection at a much lower cost. And as a result and it being politically independent, capital is going to flee to it. Because anywhere where the property rights are not very solid and not very trusted, that capital will prefer to be in something like Bitcoin instead of in you know, some piece of, of land in Africa or Peru that where you don't even have proper legal title. And even if you do, how well is that being enforced? You know, so the capital is going to flee into places where the the holders of that capital are able to secure the protection at the lowest possible price. And and so there we have it, you know, the First Amendment and the Second Amendment playing very well with each other uh, in this digital age. Next up, I talked to Caitlin, Trace and Tyler more about reducing the size of government. But before that, I got a message from my amazing sponsors. So firstly, we're going to talk about Kraken, the mighty Kraken, the most trusted place to buy and sell Bitcoin. And not only are they sponsoring what Bitcoin did, but I was out with Jesse in Palm Springs. I talked to him about Defiance and he was like, I want to do that, Pete. I want to sponsor it. So he's taken out an exclusive sponsorship of that. He's extended the sponsorship on what Bitcoin did. And he's also sponsoring the launch of a news platform for Defiance. So, so much happening. Massive, massive thanks to Kraken for supporting everything I've been doing. I absolutely love this company and the whole team. So, if you like what I'm doing, if you want to help me, you want to help Kraken, they've got so many tools out there for you traders. They've got Kraken.com, which is the best place to buy, sell, and trade digital currencies. They've got margin trading with up to 5x leverage. They have futures, they've got indices, they've got the Kraken OTC desk with large trades with private and personalized services. They've also got CryptoWatch where you can trade on multiple exchanges from a single platform. And for you advanced traders out there, they've got the best account management service that you could ask for. There really is no better place to trade. There really is no place with a better set of tools. So join me in supporting Kraken by heading over to kraken.com, which is K-R-A-K-E-N.com. And lastly, and it's never least, is my friends over at BlockFi. We've done over a year now. They've also been supporting the show for so long. God, I'm so grateful to all these companies. I really couldn't do it without them. And they've announced a whole bunch of cool new things with their interest accounts, something I am also a customer of. I've been using it for five months now, super happy with it. 
So, firstly, they've dropped all minimum deposits. Interest account holder clients will no longer have to meet a minimum deposit amount in their Bitcoin, Ether or GUSD balances to earn interest. Additionally, they've removed the early withdrawal penalty from the account and they're now offering one free withdrawal per month to all clients. Add to this the recent announcement BlockFi Flex, you can choose to receive your interest payments in the currency of your choice. With a BlockFi interest account, you can earn interest every month on Bitcoin, ETH and GSD. And there's a few days left to take advantage of this special offer. They're offering $10 in free Bitcoin to anyone who signs up for an interest account before September the 30th. So if you're interested in trying this out, I do always recommend you do your own research. Then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. I definitely have constitution envy, you know, the more I've learned about it. And my experience has seen how much people defend it and how important it is. And it's very unusual spending so much time here. And it's a real shift in mindset to spending time with people who who seem to have a lot more... How am I going to put this? I think in the UK, we rely on the state and we believe in the state a lot more. And I think out here in the US... Certainly in places like Wyoming, they believe in the individual a lot more and the self-governance. I think that's helped me appreciate the culture a bit more. And, and I'm going to ask you a bit more about this, Tyler. So I've got a quote from your website. You put, unfortunately, not all of Wyoming's current laws allow citizens to fully enjoy their most basic freedoms promised in the Bill of Rights. So can you give me the big picture of what you're doing here and what your goal is? Because you talk about less government. And the radical libertarians want no government, the anarchists of this world, which right. I don't believe in, actually. But obviously, you have to be in government to reduce government. So can you talk me through the big picture of what you're doing? And then tell me how people like Caitlin and, and Trace are helping you. Sure. Yeah, no, and that's a great question, which I should note that my website is woefully out of date. I, I, don't, I don't even think I've like got on there that, uh, that we've actually passed all these Bitcoin and blockchain ideas that I had back in the day where I, I typed a little bit about it. So... When we're talking about um, the erosion of rights and how to successfully enhance those, I, I really started when I anybody that gets involved with politics, myself included, and anybody that I'll ever support in politics has to be mad, right? Those are the people that I want. I want people that have got an axe to grind. They're pissed about something. And, you know, regardless of the fact if they're a Democrat and they're pissed they didn't get their check on time or something from the government, at least they've got an axe to grind. At least they've got a reason to be there. We see that a lot in the state, and I, I, I think this happens all over the world, where people are allowed to get in these positions and people are allowed to pass laws just because they want to be there for the power versus they want to be there to fix something. So when I first got involved, I was, I was super pissed about the fact that in the state of Wyoming, I couldn't sell my neighbor a pie. I couldn't sell them a, a dozen eggs. I couldn't sell them... Any of those things, right? Like, honestly, in the state of Wyoming, up until 2015, it was illegal for me to sell you a lemon meringue pie, right? Which is crazy, right? If you think about that, what a, I mean, it's kind of a basic principle and, and, and maybe there's going to be some people giggling right now, but what a, what, how big is our government? How big is our, how, how much has our individual rights been eroded if we can't sell each other a lemon meringue pie? I mean, that's a basic fundamental. Lemon rank pie is delicious. Why couldn't you? <laughs> right? And so the reason was, is because of the nanny state, this ideology that if, if you didn't buy something that had been inspected by some federal agency, you were going to get poisoned. As it turns out, is a crazy, broken fallacy of an ideology. So what we did in the state of Wyoming in 2015, when I was first elected, 
I ran on this premise. I was going to run the Wyoming Food Freedom Act, and we were going to completely set free our producers so they could sell food directly to consumers. And we went after some crazy stuff. We did raw milk. We did kombucha. We Wyoming has better laws in regards to aged cheese and more freedom in regards to aged cheese than France. And France is known for their cheese, right? Good cheese. But their laws suck. (laughs) So in Wyoming, we said no licensing, no labeling, none of that. As long as you're not poisoning someone, the state has no interest whatsoever. So we put that in a place and it was, I, I know this sounds crazy, but it was revolutionary in regards to how the state involves itself in commerce, right? And there was a lot of people, listen, my first, my first go around with this deal, I had articles being written in, uh, written in the state paper about how I was going to poison children. You know, right? I mean, these big nanny staters were just terrified. Tyler Lindholm is going to kill your children. <laughs> you know, I mean. The, the, that, the Roger Ver argument. Right, yeah. right. I mean, that, that was it, right? And so, thankfully, the legislature said, nah, I, you know, I, I don't think he's going to kill your children. So we passed it in a law. And now here we are, four years later, and the Wyoming Food Freedom Act has spread like a foodborne illness to other states. <laughs> I should probably not use that. And we have had zero foodborne illness outbreaks. Other states have adopted this. North Dakota, South Dakota's looked at it. Unfortunately, I haven't got it done. Utah, Colorado, it's Maine. These states have adopted this law, and none of these states have had a foodborne illness outbreak from these small producers. And and the reason why is small producers, small business is self-regulating, right? Whereas the big problem, I mean, where you've got your USDA inspections being done and not to say USDA inspections are at fault, it's just there's so much that has to go through an inspection process, so much food, big business has a problem with large amounts of food. There's no way you can inspect it all. So you constantly hear about sometimes these situations crop up where there's some romaine lettuce that comes out of, out of, out of Mexico where some folks are, where folks get poisoned. People die. So small business self-regulates and we saw a lot of success with that. And I passed that my first term and then I was like, well, shit, what do I do now? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess I'm going to vote on some good gun laws. No. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I mean, just really expanded from there as far as uh, what can we do to reduce the state interaction in our lives and to allow more liberty to be there, more of that self-interaction, that self-responsibility, and to, to let natural rights actually thrive. And the state of Wyoming, we've really made some some headway over the last several years. You know, we've passed some bad laws, too, some stuff that I def, you know, definitely would you know regret that they passed. For um, example? I think probably the worst law we've passed in quite a while would be the how much we spend on our schools. And it's not because I'm anti-school or anything like that. We passed a law last year that took our school funding and shoved it into a bunch of different pots because we've got a deficit in our school funding, right? So in my opinion, I know that doesn't probably sound very sexy. It's not like a liberty issue, but when we're talking about billions of dollars and accountability and transparency in government, it's much easier to tell how much you owe when it's in one spot, right? Versus 20 different spots or something like that as far as 20 different funds. So I think that's probably the worst one we've passed in quite a while. But the list goes on. I mean, we, we hundreds of bills every session that go into law. Some have unintended consequences. We've had to go back and fix some things uh, multiple times. We've been sued over laws before. So it's 
Yeah. Yeah, and I did notice that on your website you see your voting record, for yeah. example, and I was actually amazed how many things you're voting on. Right. So in the process of you're trying to create less government, you're still having to have so many things to vote on, so many laws. Right. Like, is there any way of having a step change where you could significantly reduce the number of laws? Are there specific areas where you think we really should just, like... I don't know because I don't understand how it works out here, but any specific areas you think we could fundamentally change things and reduce government, reduce the government budget, therefore reduce taxes? You know, an area that I'm really going to hunker down on now, and I'm really bullish on this, I think it's a really super good opportunity. And when I get my teeth in something, I really geek out on it. You know, I mean, that's probably been one of the biggest regrets uh, for my wife over the last couple of years is... While she's going to sleep, I'm sitting there reading some type of fintech article or reading regulations in regard to the Federal Reserve or something like that. Listening to a podcast. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, so. Places. <laughs> right. So the one area that I'm really super bullish on is in regards to occupational licensure. I think that can be one of the biggest ways that we can free up economic activity in the state of Wyoming and at the same time reduce the size and scope of government. I mean, for instance, in occupational licensure in the state of Wyoming and in all states across the United States, we've got a barbering board, a board of barbers that get together and decide who can be a barber in the, in, in the state. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous, right? It is crazy. And then the reason why they've got that in place is because it's dangerous. Somebody that doesn't know what they're doing in regards to barbering could hurt someone. And absolutely they're right. Does that require the state to license them, though? And my answer is no. Freedom in economics can clearly handle that unto itself. If you, if you give someone a bad shave and they get an infection on their face, it's quickly going to spread that they're a garbage barber and you're not going to go back there. Yeah, and I mean, this, this is an important point. You know, we, we want safe interactions and stuff to happen. But government is on its face not the right entity in order to be able to do this. We'd be much better off with things like Amazon reviews or Yelp. And what I'd submit as the part of the argument for that is that the government already has a monopoly on the management and administration of roads and highways. And we have 50 to 60,000 people a year die on American roads and highways. If we had 50 to 60,000 people a year die flying on Delta or Southwest, like there would be outrage. But for whatever reason, we just shrug our shoulders and sacrifice all these people to the road gods. If the roads and highways were privatized and, and, we, and we didn't have sovereign immunity in lawsuits, you know, where, where there's a, a bad action or negligence or something on the part of an administrator, if it's the government, you can't sue them, can't hold them accountable – Private companies that were operating roads in this type of a negligent way would be driven out of business. And so if, if we had privatized roads and highways, we would have maybe eight to 12,000 people a year die on the roads based on the wor work of Walter Block uh, in his book on privatizing roads and highways. So, you know, the argument that, that the government is the right entity to be looking out for people's safety and welfare is just wrong on its face. And every year we're sacrificing an, an unnecessary 40,000 people to the road gods that, that sit in the Department of Transportation or wherever. And so if we really were compassionate and we really did care about people and wanting to help them you know, be safe and stuff, 
that's what would be attacking, would be the privatization of the roads and highways and getting that out of what the federal government and the state governments are, are in charge of. I mean, it's, it's really crazy when you think about it in terms of the size and scale and the number of people that die unnecessarily. I mean, I've had at least five people that have died on the roads and highways, close friends or whatever. Four of them should be alive today. You know, I mean, that's how serious it is. And yet we trust them to, as, as Tyler brought up, to, to help us be safe getting a, a shave or getting our hair cut. <laughs> like they can't even keep us safe on the roads. You know, and why don't we have Yelp or like when we do Google Maps, why doesn't it show us like how dangerous this particular route is? You know, I mean, <laughs> like why, why are they able to pass uh, different legislation that makes it illegal to disclose like how many accidents happen at different areas? you know, so that we know where to avoid. And of course, in typical bureaucratic fashion, they don't actually act or do anything until something has happened. You know, so they're not going to put that stoplight in because it's going to cost extra in the budget. So they're going to wait for one, two, three, five, ten people to die before they put in that stoplight. You know, because they're, they're being held accountable not to the market, but instead to bureaucratic incentives. And so, you know, it's it's just a travesty anyway. It's one of my, my pet peeves, the roads and the highways. Caitlin, with uh, Wyoming, is it me? I was like, similar to I'm the uh, the rebel, crazy youngest child in my family. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Is, is Wyoming that for America? Yeah, it is one of the younger states within the United States. And it has this history. Actually, there's a great history. Wyoming was the first state to give women the right to vote. And like so many things in life, it's not black and white. It, it was actually because they didn't have enough people here. And so in order to apply for, con- for statehood, they had to have enough people. And actually, it turned out that the legislature gave women the right to vote and, you know, checked the box and then tried to take it back. And believe it or not, it actually passed one of the houses of the legislature. And then the governor threatened to veto it and, and, it failed by one vote short of a veto-proof majority. It was that close. They tried to take it back. So it wasn't because the Wyomingites of that time had pure morals. They were being pragmatic, and they wanted, they wanted statehood. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of that in history where, frankly, there are trade-offs. And I think in the, in the cryptosphere, there are some critics. I know there are some critics of what Wyoming's doing because they're saying, wait a minute, you're setting up a new financial institution what the hell are you setting up a new type of financial institution for? You know, code is law. We don't need any of this. Um, and the truth is, we are making some pragmatic trade-offs on the, the, the bridging of the two systems. And I'm, I'm, I'm adamant that getting a special purpose depository institution that's 100% reserve, that does have access to the Federal Reserve payment system, is actually going to be a really important boost to... The, the crypto system broadly. And like I said, in 20 years, I hope we don't need it anymore. But I think it's going to accelerate adoption to have it. But yeah, am I making a trade-off? Yeah, the purists obviously think that this is a waste and think we shouldn't be doing it. Why is it in Wyoming you're able to seemingly pass these laws and and, and move things forward so effectively and where other states don't? And actually, I think I overheard somebody say at dinner last night, Wow, I couldn't do this in DC. 
So, like, what, what is going on here? I mean, as an outsider, what it seems to me with politics in the US, it's much more left-right divide. We have a bit more middle ground in the UK, but it seems like some people, who doesn't matter who the candidate is, they will vote Republican. It doesn't matter who the candidate is, they'll vote Democrat. And then if there is a, a vote in, uh, again, I might get some of this wrong, but say Congress, it seems to be that everyone will stit, stick and vote party line. There's very little bipartisan support for ideas. What's going on differently in Wyoming? Yeah, other states suck. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, no. Wyoming, Wyoming. has Tyler Lindholm. <laughs> but but, 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 is, but this, is this coming down to how you as an individual have approached things differently and you're dealing with people, or is this a cultural thing in Wyoming? Yeah, it's totally a cultural thing. I'm, I'm just a product of this great state. You know, I was, I was raised in Wyoming, and this is, this is my home. This is where I'm raising my children. And they're products of this state. It's about, uh, you know, it's kind of like, it's, it's like the whole gun debate, right? I mean, you, you look at states like Illinois who has all these guns, pro- gun problems and all these gun homicides and they're trying to solve it with their laws and bans and bans and bans. And, and yet their gun homicide rate stays ever growing higher and higher. And one of the least gun homicide rate states in the nation is Wyoming. And yet we don't have these problems of gun laws. and Everybody's armed. <laughs> right. Well, to that point, an armed society is a polite society. You know, because if, if grandma's got a handgun and you don't know that she's got a handgun in her purse versus in Illinois, you know grandma ain't got a handgun. We're quite polite yeah. in the UK. What's that? We're, we're quite, I consider myself quite polite. Yeah. Well, I, but, I, yeah. Well, I don't I, have a gun. <laughs> yeah. actually, we've got a major knife problem. Knives, you do. Yeah. Terrible you do. knife problem. And I think the UK is actually didn't they ban like pointed knives to try and stop <sighs> some of that? There, no, there was a certain one. They've got certain restrictions also on kids right. buying knives. But I'm like, if you want to get a knife, you can get a knife. That's the point with guns, right? Yeah. If you want to get a gun, you can print. You can 3D print guns now. So, I mean, back to the ideology of the state of Wyoming and why we're able to get things done here in such a quick fashion it's you know it's also has to do with the fact that we're hungry for for a, a new economy to move into the state of Wyoming we're not broke we've got one of the largest sovereign trust funds in the nation and we've done a good job of saving our money but at the same time we want to attract new businesses to the state and we're also just a different type of crowd than other places. Are other states looking at you though with interest are you are you do other politicians from other states call you and say how are you doing things is there like is this starting some kind of change in politics? Yeah, I tell them no. I'm not going to help them. <laughs> and I really won't. Oh, uh, right. Okay. Yeah, no, I really won't. Um, you know, I'll lend some advice like, hey, maybe you should start with like this one or this one. These are kind of the easier ones to get going with. So I'll lend a little bit of advice like that. But I'm not going to help somebody jump it through hurdles. I mean, I've had multiple states outreach and say, hey, we really need you to walk this down for us. I'm not going to do that because – I don't live in those other states. It's not Wyoming. It's not my home. I'm, I ride for the brand, you know, and I ride for Wyoming. And uh, it's all about bringing the businesses here. So when California calls and they're like, hey, I'm really interested in this ICO bill, would you mind explaining it? No, I'm not going to do that. Now, I will say <laughs> Idaho, Montana, Colorado, Utah, I'll lend those guys a little bit more of a hand, but they're Western states and uh, they're a little bit more like Wyoming. Well, we've got the hackathon starting soon, so there's a couple of areas I just want to finish on. The first one I want to ask you about, interestingly, I came from Denver, and in Denver there are very liberal cannabis laws now. My belief is Wyoming doesn't have those yet. Is there a push? What is the situation in Wyoming? It seems like the majority of the U.S. now has has become a lot more liberal with regards to cannabis. What's the situation here? 
And it's a super good question. Wyoming is very conservative in this regard, and, and that means uh, not what it should mean, right? So they're conservative in the regard that they just want to stick with the laws they got, which is a misdemeanor and a, a misdemeanor for certain amounts, felony for another amount. They will literally put you in a cage. So my best advice to your listeners is if you have marijuana, don't bring it to Wyoming because they will put you in a cage for it. That's an area that I've tried to reform in the past, and I'm going to keep trying to reform because I do not believe that we should put people in cages for something that they're doing to themselves. I don't think that's, when it comes to marijuana, I don't think that's a just law. I think that's mullum prohibitum. I think it's a garbage, garbage ideology. And it, I, I would say that the, that's a growing aspect in, in the state of Wyoming to look more towards, you know, not legalization, but look towards decriminalization as a methodology to handle the marijuana situation. Because ultimately, you look at Colorado, their black market has grown because their taxes are so high on the on legally grown marijuana that it, people can actually make money on the side by growing a couple plants at home and then just selling it to their neighbor. So in, in the state of Wyoming, I, I hope we don't make that mistake to go for a, a legalization case. I know, I know Caitlin disagrees with me a little bit on this one, but I, I'm not a I'm not a legalization guy because I'm really certain that the, that the state will screw it up. Oh, okay. You know, another another point that I think is important here are just the economics and the macro picture of what's going on. You know, we've kind of talked on this. Good fences make good neighbors. Wyoming, you know, good fences make good neighbors, right? You, you brand the cows. You know whose cows who. Leave me alone. Don't touch my stuff. That's very libertarian ideology. A lot of uh, Wyoming kind of adheres to that. But when we're talking about, you know, putting people in cage for something they're doing to themselves, who's going to pay for it? You know, so, and and we're talking about this, this is a, a complete sea change with the hardest, strictest money ever. Like, you're not going to be able to just print more of it in order to fund your pet project to put people in a cage for doing something that you might not necessarily agree with. So I think that the economics, as we move further into this digital age with these types of assets like Bitcoin, it's going to just cause people to retrench on what they're willing to spend money on because it's going to be a lot harder to get the money in order to spend it Mm -hmm. because you can't just confiscate it through inflation, which is a form of taxation without representation and no due process of law. You know, you're going to actually have to follow due process of law. You're going to have to go get the resources from the people, the people are going to be hodling their resources a whole lot more because of how it changes culture because of time preference. All of this is going to going to change a lot of just how we all interact with each other. And I think we're going to see a lot less of these laws that nobody really wants to pay for, but just got on the books. I mean, yeah. really, if like if your W two or your your wage like had a had a line item tax there, like marijuana jail tax, like fifteen dollars every pay period, you'd be like, you know, maybe we can just get rid of that line item. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, that was the great thing with my interview with Eric the other day. Whilst I've heard repeatedly about the hyper-Bitcoinization, separation of money and state, he actually walked me through the process. He said, as people use Bitcoin more, as Bitcoin grows, it's going to be become more of a, uh, a regular used currency. Now, the state might be able to tax it, but if they need more Bitcoin because they want to you know, 
create missiles because they want to go to war. They're not going to be able to do that like they historically can with with fiat money. Now, obviously, it might be something that never happens or happens over multiple years, but to be walked through that as a way of restricting the government to spend money on the things that they should be, I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I mean, this this is part of why the founders put the legal tender and monetary provisions in the Constitution. They aren't just barbarous relics. They're essential checks and balances in the political machinery. They belong in the same places as constitutions and bills of right. And so when you take that power of the purse and vest it with the individual, you know, and then this, and then the state has to go and get the funds from the individual. And when you change the economics of violence around that, because you make securing protection of those resources much easier and at a much lower cost, you know, that begins to change all of this stuff because the, the, the individual is the one with the resources. One, you have to somehow get, get those funds out of them, but then it also results in a much more strict power over the purse that the legislatures get because, you know, they're getting voted in. And people, I mean, think about it. Like, it costs $60,000 a year to house a criminal. If you'd put $60,000 in, into Bitcoin six years ago, I mean, look at the opportunity cost. I mean, how many schools could we have funded? Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, there's opportunity costs of putting people in a cage. You could fund schools. Uh, so, I mean, like, there's, there's, it's going to be changing a lot of stuff just through the sheer er- economics of it. Tyler, is there any Bitcoin in the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Wyoming? <laughs> no, no. You know, and I've had a lot of people ask me, you know, when are you going to mandate that the, tr- the state treasurer has to buy Bitcoin? I'm like, um, have you ever seen me be a mandate kind of guy? <laughs> so let me ask you something else, though, with regards to Bitcoin, because it is a Bitcoin show, and we just we are about to close out. Who first introduced you to it? Was it Caitlin or? No, so I actually learned about it on the Ron Paul forums. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I learned about it on the Ron Paul Ron Paul forums and first started learning about it. Did it just click straight away? Uh, yeah, kind of. I mean, a little bit. I'm, you know, I mean, at the time when I first learned about it, I was more of a gold standard kind of guy. So it was one of those aspects that you kind of got to wrap your head around. And, you know, by, by the time I was first elected, I had it. I ran my first Bitcoin bill in 2016. And, and boy, have times changed. I got, I mean, just housed when I ran that bill. I mean, I took it into the minerals committee at the time was full of mostly people over the age of 60. And I don't, I didn't even make it out of committee with that bill. And the, the division of banking showed up and just talked about all the fraud and, all these horrible things. My my relationship with the division of banking didn't start out so good, but we're in a different place now. Me Let and the Kate division of banking, <laughs> right? So now the division of banking is, you know, I mean, they're they're loving ex- this. Yeah, they're loving it. They're exceedingly pro. They're working with us to try and attract these businesses. They're awesome, and I don't have problems with these bills anymore. Getting through the committee or or on the floor. All right, to close out, and it's probably a question for all three of you, but we'll start with you, Caitlin. What are the most important things now happening with regards to regulation, specifically with Bitcoin? I'm not too worried about blockchain myself, but with regards to Bitcoin, what's the most important things happening? What are you working at? Well, the most important thing that should be happening is is tax clarification in the U.S. at the federal level. And the states can only do so much on that. And we've already done everything we can do in Wyoming, which is say there's no state-level tax on crypto, period. Okay. Tyler, yourself? I think the... The biggest thing right now for me in the Bitcoin space is ensuring that it is too expensive to domicile your business anywhere but Wyoming. So you have to move your business to the state of Wyoming. And that's ultimately my goal. 
It's all about economic development. If your business isn't domiciled in Wyoming yet, you suck too. And is that just that's by reducing tax by reducing government? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Simple. Simple. And you, Trace? Yeah. I mean, I think bigger picture, what we're what we're talking about here is that Wyoming is effectively selling sovereignty. They're selling property rights. They're selling criminal procedure rights, things like that. And that's been a bull market the last 20 years. Look at the number of uh, different countries that are selling citizenship by investment, for example. Mm-hmm. Used to be one, then two. Now we're, now we got like, you know, probably more than you, you have on two hands selling citizenships by investment, selling sovereignty. And so I think that that's going to become increasingly a bull market and an opportunity for jurisdictions that can be nimble uh, to take advantage of. And Wyoming's on the forefront of all of that. You know, Estonia's got their digital ID uh, that gets you passported into the EU. Wyoming could work on something very similar to that. Wyoming's working on these things to prevent being compelled to disclose, disclose private keys. Lean cleansing. You know, that's a form of jurisdictional arbitrage where Wyoming's effectively selling sovereignty to keep you protected against California and New York. You, you want to buy Bitcoins that have clean title? Got to get them from a Wyoming custodian. You know, otherwise uh, they might not have very clean title. You know, these are all things that we we got to be thinking about and taking into account when we're buying our assets and holding our assets and trying to keep our assets secure and protected. Because who wants uh, who wants these attack surfaces and attack vectors when you don't necessarily need them? Can I buy sovereignty to come and live in Wyoming? Is that possible as a British citizen? <laughs> we'll take you. You'll take me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number yeah, one I mean, Bitcoin show in Wyoming. Yeah, I mean there there actually are what is it HB two visas where you invest uh, in the in the U.S. and Wyoming's got these special opportunity zones so you could invest in Wyoming have uh, not have taxes for like ten years, but sounds you know, great. But yeah, but but comes with a catch because you become a U.S. person that's a permanent resident or a citizen. You're taxed on worldwide income. You have to file FACTA. I heard you have to about file this. FBARS. Like it becomes very brutal. Yeah, I heard um, about this recently. I you didn't know, realize that. Yeah, so you know you do you <laughs> just jumping out of the fireplace into the fire it might be easier with an LLC. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. All right, well, listen, look. Obviously, it's amazing having th- all three of you on. Everyone will know where to get hold of you, Trace and Caitlin, because you've both been on before. Tyler, can you just tell people where to get hold of you, where to find out what you're up to? Yeah, uh, either follow me on Twitter or on Facebook. Uh, my uh, Twitter is at Tyler underscore Lindholm, and my Facebook is Tyler4HD1. And that's the Tyler, uh, the number four, and then HD, and then the number one. So hit me up on there. You can go to my website, TylerLindholm.com. Uh, you can contact me there, or you can just look me up on the State of Wyoming legislative website. My cell phone, my home phone's all available on there if you just want to chat about moving to the State of Wyoming and enjoying a piece of liberty. And you're going to take me hunting in yeah, hunting we're gonna go ki- Yeah, we're going to go kill something. It'll okay. be great. Well, okay. and then, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then yeah. eat it. And then eat it. Yeah, okay, great. Well, listen, guys, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. All right, what did you think of that? Was that pretty awesome? pretty cool right having all three of those on together yeah super cool moment really loved recording it the things that caitlin trace and tyler are doing are so important and knowing that's been handled by such competent people is really cool and to be honest it kind of surprised me to hear how many changes they've managed to make in a relatively short amount of time and i imagine that passing laws like this would just take a lot longer it's also cool that Wyoming has spotted the mistakes that the other states have made with over-regulating the space and pushing Bitcoin businesses away. And maybe, maybe it will become Bitcoin Silicon Valley. Who knows? We'll have to see. Also, following my recent exploration 
of government and reducing government and libertarianism. And with Eric Voorhees talking about reducing the size of government, it was really refreshing to see this happen in person. I'm going to continue to explore this. And I'm also, I'm definitely going to go back to Wyoming. You know, there's a lot of these libertarian and conservative values I've never truly understood. And it's probably because I spent most of my time in places like New York and LA, but going out to Wyoming and just seeing a different pace of life and I don't know. It just all became a lot clearer. I kind of really understand some of the conservative points and also some of the libertarian points and where it all crosses over. So very cool. Tyler's invited me back. He's invited me out to go hunting. Maybe something I'll do, but I'll definitely go back out there. Very cool place. If you haven't been, I highly recommend it. Anyway, awesome show. I really enjoyed this one. If you've got any questions or feedback, hit me up. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Also, if you want to support the show, whatever you do, if it's a review, if you subscribe, it doesn't matter. It's all listed on my website. Just head over to whatbitcoindid.com. Click on the support section. It's all there. If you love the show, I would really appreciate any support you can give. All right. I'm absolutely shattered. Going to get this stuff over to my engineer. I really hope you enjoyed the show. As ever, if you've got any questions, you can email me on hello at whatbitcoindid.com. of the free Bitcoin guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate. Consolidate.